Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning to our Northeast family. Um, I know what you're thinking. The 9 a.m. service, Thanksgiving on a rainy, cold morning. Do I get extra points for this? Yes, God told me. No, I'm playing, but I'm so glad that we're here together. I want to take just a second, um, just a second, and acknowledge uh, one of our own. uh, Went to be with the Lord this week, uh, Jason Myers. Um, He was a friend uh, to me personally and to so many of you and many in our church. Uh, It was a really hard week, but I want you to know, because I know some of us knew him better than others, just how it goes, um, that the Lord was so honored over the course of this week in some ways that I just haven't seen before. Um, You know, he worked in the news and um, his station calls me on Wednesday and asks me if I'll come on the 11 o'clock news and um, talk about his faith. And I was like, like, I don't need too much of a window. I'm going to go after it if you just give me that right there, right? But yeah, just come on. And um, they let me just preach the gospel on the evening news um, on CBS, which was a, um, never seen that before. And that's a testimony to Jason and, and his life. Um, even cooler than that, by the time the visitation was over on Friday night, someone had already told me that at least two people had given their lives to the Lord as a result of Jason's testimony. Um, praise God. Praise God. I hope for all of us that uh, we are the same in our love for the Lord and for people in every arena the Lord has us in, because that was the testimony of his life. Um, and I'm going to miss him. going to miss him so much. Um, I want to make a transition into our, um, our time together, and that's a really hard thing to do, but as Jason and I would often text about, we loved the awkward. So um, there it is, and now we're going to transition, okay? Um, we do, um, we're going into Advent here at Mercy. We love Christmas every year here. We take the last Sunday in November and into December to celebrate Christmas. And I say Advent, that's just the Latin word for arrival. For centuries, the church has called the remembrance and celebration of Jesus Advent. Um, Well, we've got this great, uh, this really cool guide that we printed out that'll be out, uh, or published, I should say, that'll be out in uh, the lobby as you're heading out. You'll be handed this, and uh, it's kind of like our Christmas gift to you today. And the reason I say that is it's an Advent devotional guide for you. And so I want to call it a gift. I hope you'll receive it as an early Christmas gift, because if you'll open it and use it, I believe it will guide you and your family to a more meaningful celebration of Christmas. Now, let me talk about Christmas Eve for a second. Again, I'm kind of orienting you to the next few weeks around here. One of the things we try and do with you every Christmas Eve is partner with you in your efforts in engaging non-Christians that you know with the gospel. 
Every week we try and, you know, we think about our worship gatherings in terms of being somebody who's new to church, new to Jesus, right? We just take that up another notch on Christmas Eve because we think it's an even easier invite for people to hear the good news of the gospel. We've got four services. They're going to be across Christmas Eve, the 23rd and the 24th. You'll see more about that um, on our website in the days ahead. We're also going to celebrate through something we call the Christmas Missions Offering. All right. I love this offering. It's our collective kind of mission gift to devoting ourselves to the mission of God here in Charlotte and around the world. When you get this book, you'll see like in the, um, it's like the last, oh, that was easy enough. Like last page is going to list off our partners and everybody that we're going to be giving to. You're going to see a mix of those that are here in Charlotte because uh, we are a part of supporting ministries that are on the front lines of the great needs that we have in Charlotte organizations like the Dream Center and Pregnancy Resource Center. You'll see those that take the gospel beyond Charlotte like the International Mission Board, who collects an offering every year to go fund missions overseas. So we'll give to that. What I love about this offering, 100% of it goes outside of the Mercy Church walls, all right? All of it. We give it all away. I love that. And I know you might be thinking, uh, couldn't we use some of that in the walls of Mercy Church? Yes, we could. We'll address those at our um, member night, our vision night on December 6th. But y'all, I'm just committed to leading a generous church. They want to see a gospel awaken happen here in Charlotte, carried to the ends of the earth. Um, so pray, talk about it with your family. What we do, uh, the Sheltons, what we do is we try and give our first and best gift to the mission of God every year and are trying to disciple our kids to that end. Lord willing, we want to give $125,000 as a church to this offering this year. Uh, that would allow us to bless these ministries and get the mission going forward. So with that said, all right, there's your orientation. Let's get into the Bible. Go to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Many theologians throughout church history have referred to Isaiah, even though it's in the Old Testament, as the fifth gospel. And the reason is because no scripture seems so clearly to point towards the coming of Jesus as this book. So we're going to go over to Isaiah chapter 9. And now, you know, if you're just like opening your Bible, you probably hit the Psalms. Okay, so go right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, you might be like, whoa, keep going, and you're going to get to Isaiah, all right? Big book, you hit Jeremiah, go back a little bit, or scroll back up a little bit, whichever, however you're reading it. Now, let me set up what's happening. If you've never read Isaiah before, it's going to be a little different than other areas of scriptures you might have read. It's around 730 BC, and the main character, Isaiah, is called in chapter 6 to be a prophet, which means his job is to speak on God's behalf to God's people, the people of Israel. Israel, And most of the book is recording that message, what God's telling Isaiah to speak to Israel. And here's the thing. The reason God raised up this messenger was because Israel, his people, had turned away from him to go worship false idols. They rejected this one true God who had saved them, the God who had brought them up out of slavery in Egypt. The one who had provided for them along the way. They have turned their back on him. So God sends Isaiah to bring a warning. That if they don't repent, God's going to send a very real judgment. And what was happening, what we know on this side of reading, reading it, is that God was raising up the nations of Assyria and Babylon who would come and conquer Israel. So when you open this book, largely filled with prophecy, what you're reading is God's warning to his own people about the road they're traveling down. And now here's what makes this message so good. Lest you think I'm going to spend all of Christmas just talking about judgment, okay? Isaiah's message is one of impending judgment, but it is mingled with a very clear promise of hope. 
thinking about this morning. It's like a, like, you know how a rope has a bunch of threads that are all together. This Isaiah would be like this rope with four or five dark threads, but then a very clear golden thread woven through it. You're going to keep seeing hope. That's why we need Isaiah so much. The mingling of God's saving hope in the face of deserved judgment. That's why they call it the fifth gospel. We'll see today. Isaiah talks about the sin of Israel in terms of darkness And this darkness, it's like a a shroud hanging over his world. He sees it around him and how people are treating one another. He's seeing it and how they reject God. And he sees it in himself too. That right there, darkness around him, darkness between other people, darkness and a rejection of God, darkness in himself too, that's what makes this book so accessible. Because there's darkness around us. I mean, this past week, our city and church experienced it. We're still feeling the darkness of loss and suffering. But here's the thing. If we just take just a little bit of time, and even though it's so palpable right now around us, you take just a little personal inventory, we'll see that it isn't just around us. If we're honest, we'll admit it's inside of us as well. We've all had desires and thoughts that we would never put on social media because people would think we're monsters, right? I mean, the thoughts some of you parents of little ones Think about your kids in those stressful, tired moments. If you posted that instead of your cute family picture, can you imagine the number of social service calls that would be flooding social services right now? But that's not all, of course. Of course. There's all kinds of darkness in our lives. Maybe it's in our love lives, the darkness of insecurity. What does he or she really think about me? Wonder what they'll think once they get to know me. Maybe your darkness is what you did in your past. Maybe it's what was done to you that's got your soul feeling dark. How do we escape the darkness? We could just pretend like it's not there. Right? We're awesome about that in the South. Pretend like it's all good. I mean, you did it this week. You showed up to Thanksgiving dinner, hugged your grandma, She says, how are you doing? You said, I'm fine. That's like a huge alarm bell, okay? Just know that we know. When you say, I'm fine, we're like, oh, no. The whole bag of crazy going on in your life right now, right? We know it. You and I know it's there, so what do we do? How do we find our way out of the darkness around us and inside of us? That's what Isaiah is here for. He's talking to a people who need hope, and what they need is to experience how the light of Christ's coming actually overcomes the very real darkness they're dealing with in their lives. And Isaiah is here in the Bible to show you and I that very thing, the very real hope of Christmas. And I think the running theme today is that darkness doesn't win. Darkness doesn't win. Isaiah 8.22, this sets up Isaiah 9. It says, They will look to the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. See, what's happening here is Israel's going to try and figure it out on their own, but God is telling Isaiah it's not going to work. The enemy's too strong. It's going to crush Israel. The darkness is going to be too great for their strength. They're going to be exiled and made to be prisoners and slaves in foreign kingdoms. And Isaiah is put here to say, when the enemy overwhelms you, when your sin has finally come back on you, when you are, as verse 22 says, thrust into thick darkness, there's hope. There's hope. And where is Isaiah's hope? It's that God is faithful to his promises. This is why darkness doesn't win, because God is faithful. And that promise is that one day a ruler is going to come who will rescue them and will sit on King David's throne forever. 
That's God's promise from 2 Samuel 7. And even when all seems lost, Isaiah's going to say that that promise is not going to be broken. Somehow a rescuer is going to come. Again, verse 22 sets up the problem so that the next few verses can talk about this rescuer and what he does for Israel. Now, because they have this poetic nature to them, I'm going to read um, verses 2 through 7 to you, our whole text for this morning, and then we'll, we'll look at it. Here's what he says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in that land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and every bloodied garments of war and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Mm. Now here... I want to offer just a quick uh, caution to church people, okay? You've been around church before, maybe especially if it's like only Christmas and Easter. Some of those phrases, maybe the whole thing is so familiar to you, especially like verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everything. You, we could get, those who have been around at this for a while, could get, um, we just got to guard ourselves against thinking we already know it. Otherwise, you're going to go into what I call each year Hallmark Christmas movie mode. Okay, which is, ah, I know what's going to happen. All right, now when it comes to Hallmark Christmas movies, you're exactly right. You already know what's going to happen. Some dumb girl is going to leave a perfectly good guy who has a job and a 401k for some Christmas tree farm seasonal employee who lives with his parents and owns one flannel shirt. Now listen. Outside of these films being terrible influences on the future of romance in our society, my main reason I don't like them is because the snobby city boy, the girl always leaves, you know, the one who works in finance and only wears black turtlenecks, his name is always Spencer. <laughs> and I'm very troubled by this. So each year I bring this up, hoping that one of you one day will go into filmmaking and redeem the good name of Spencer, okay? Don't use it for flannel boy. Just let the good guy actually win. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that's done. My point in this little soapbox is it's easy to come to church and think, I know this already. But that was the very problem the religious people had that Jesus repeatedly warned in his time on earth. Their head knowledge actually created walls around their hearts. And it caused them to miss what God was doing. So instead of letting your familiarity with Christmas create a wall in your heart, let it create an avenue for God to go to work in your life afresh this year. And let's anticipate the new work God wants to do in you. Isaiah 42, sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth. And I'm praying he gives us some new songs this Christmas about how he worked in your life and mine in Christmas 22. Now, like I said, Isaiah is written to people with a real problem. The Messiah is a real answer. And the real answer is made clear in how the New Testament picks up on Isaiah's prophecy and says Jesus is the one he's talking about. 
So when we read Isaiah, we got to read it through the filter of the New Testament to fully understand it. So I want to show you how the promises of God explode off of the page when you read it that way. I'm going to walk back through these verses that I just read you, and we're going to see, depending on time, six promises, six promises about Jesus in Isaiah. And they don't give abstract sentiment, but real tangible hope for us this Christmas. Start in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. They're in a bad way. Darkness is surrounding them. Remember, that's a metaphor for the state of things. Depravity and despair. Isaiah is saying, one day, these people that are living in deep darkness will. It will happen. They'll receive a great light. Notice this. They don't eventually find their way to light. A light is shown down upon them from somewhere above. Y'all, this is the first gospel promise right here. Jesus is the light that defeats darkness. The gospel of John picks up on this. says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The reason John's using that language is because he's hearkening back to Isaiah. The one to come, he would pull people out of this darkness. John says, that's Jesus. John 9, he's the light of the world. He's God himself. And as the light, he exposes the darkness of sin. And not only does he expose sin for its ugliness, after exposing it, he defeats it altogether. John 12, I've come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. I want to show you the power of Isaiah's message. Oh, one, of the, one of the ways is really cool. It's the way that he speaks to different times, different eras. Because follow me, this is some hope you guys need today. The best way for me to illustrate this <laughs> is the DeLorean from Back to the Future. All right? So if you don't know Back to the Future and you've got some days off, you need to catch up. Okay? Um, but what happens here is it's like God allows Isaiah to hop into the DeLorean with Marty McFly, transport him a few years into the future, and when he gets there, things look rough. But then they hop back into the DeLorean, which is a time-traveling car. Sorry, I should have, for those of you who don't know it, time-traveling car. And they go a long way into the future. And when they get a long way into the future, the future looks awesome. And then Isaiah comes all the way back from the future to the present, and that vision of that one day, way in the future, stays with him. He's warning current Israel about present darkness, like right there. That's Assyria that's coming after them. And even future darkness, a little bit into the future, Babylon's coming, and it's going to be bad. But then he looks way further beyond all that darkness, and he looks back on all that darkness and is able to call it former darkness. Even though he's in the present, He's able to call the present and the near future darkness former darkness. Notice the tense change. Those who walked, past tense, and dwelt, past tense, in darkness, are now in the light and will be in an even greater future light. Embedded in there is the beautiful perspective of the Christian life. The hope of the gospel is that this present darkness and even future darkness will one day all be past darkness. In other words, darkness doesn't win. You understand that? Isaiah is helping you and I to see our lives from God's eternal perspective. And it applies so many ways. Maybe like Israel, your darkness is of your own making. 
Some of you are headed for darkness because you refuse to turn from your sin. You haven't been in the depths of your destruction yet, but it's just like Israel, it's coming. And what you need to hear today is that you can step out of that darkness into the light named Jesus. He says, confess your sin, expose it, put it into his light. First John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Yeah. And guess what? Even as messed up as you are, it'll move from present darkness to former darkness. Through the forgiving power of Christ, the darkness doesn't have to win in your life. Every Christian, this is what we've done this uh, for like the past couple weeks I've been back. Every Christian in this room is one with former darkness. Maybe you're a Christian and you hear me talking about darkness and your heart's pounding a little bit faster because you've got darkness and you know the name of it right now. Porn, adultery, abuse, anxiety, depression, loneliness, anger, fear. Whether it's sin-based darkness or suffering-based darkness. I'm telling you today through the power of Christ, it doesn't win. The promise of John 12, 46 can be true for you. Present darkness can become former darkness. That's the hope of the gospel, that all present darkness will one day be former darkness. The gospel says you're not defined by what someone else said about you, what someone did to you. Christ, in the end of days, and even now, he washes those labels away that you've been wearing. So he says, give your burden to him because he can carry it. Gospel says you're a new creation, which means former darkness doesn't define you. The scars will linger, and for in a few minutes I'll talk about those scars. But what you need to see, you need to see Isaiah's perspective. One day there will be no more darkness at all. If your darkness is suffering because of tragedy like we experienced this week, the victory of Christ is that one day there's no more darkness. We'll be together in heaven I was thinking about this week, we're going to be together in heaven with Jason, with Michael, with Devin, three young men that we lost this year, and with all the other saints. And there won't even be a need for the sun because the face of Jesus will light up all of eternity and there'll be no darkness anywhere. Even the darkness of death, especially the darkness of death, doesn't win. Verse 3 says this redeemer multiplies the nations. This means it isn't just Israel anymore who's redeemed through this person, this Jesus. It's now freedom for all nations because our God is a missionary God who's bringing all peoples to himself. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Notice the language, yoke, staff, rod, tools of a slave master oppressing his slaves. And Isaiah says, God breaks them. Like when the people of Midian were oppressing Israel in Judges 6, and God used Gideon and 300 men to break their stronghold over Israel. And Isaiah is saying, God's going to break whatever stronghold that sin has over you. How? Romans 6 says, the light of the gospel breaks the power of sin over us. We're no longer slaves to it. It leads me right to our second promise. Jesus is the warrior who brings freedom from bondage. Oh, what burden are you carrying? Can you name it? Can you name it? What do you feel bound to? It's similar to the darkness metaphor. It should sound similar. The darkness of sin has a way of not just surrounding us, but runs deep into our soul where we want to be free from it, but we're also afraid of the pain we might go through to get there. The addiction you haven't told anyone about, you can be free from it. I mean that. It doesn't have to hold you anymore. It doesn't have to own you anymore. You'll need some help. But the stronghold that it has on you, Jesus breaks those chains. You'll need to trust him, though. 
You'll need to yield to him. Victory will come through battling this thing his way, not yours. And that's going to be tough, which is why the church is here, to help you walk in Christ's strength and in Christ's victory. But look at the powerful picture of what happens, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Take that in for a second. I'll let it pass you by. The clothing worn for battle, you can throw it into the victory fire because you don't need it anymore. Look, I've only been around victory fires in one setting. Um, That's in college on Franklin Street. I went to UNC. All right. Um, Tough weekend for us. But um, back in college, whenever we would beat Duke, we would all just run out on a Franklin Street. Right? And we would just be hugging everybody, right? When we beat Duke in basketball, not in football, that was a different thing. But in basketball, you know, we're running around. It was awesome. Hugging strangers you've never met, crying tears of joy because Brendan Haywood finally hit a free throw, you know, or something like that in the years that I was there. And then fires just start appearing, right? That means the celebration is going. How do you keep the fires going? You would think like sticks and stuff. No. Clothing is how you keep the fire going. People readily sacrifice shoes and other garments in the spirit of celebration. And they burned. I remember my roommate coming back in later than the rest of us wearing shoes and shorts. And I was like, it's February. (laughs) Joel, wear your clothes. Sacrifice them to the fire, man. (laughs) College. Um, You know, (laughs) you think about it. This victory fires are everywhere that Isaiah is talking about. And Isaiah is saying, look, you can't win the battle. You're not strong enough. The enemy is too great. But the great news, the battle has been won for you. So toss your battle gear into the fire and hug your fellow neighbor who has also been set free. The battle's over. Again, Isaiah is looking beyond the present battle. He's trying to get you and I to look beyond the battle that you're in right now and that I'm in. And he says in Christ, hallelujah, one day we're going to actually experience the truth. It's true today. He has won the victory. He's won the victory, the victory over sin. It's not my master anymore. I'm free. The battle against darkness, listen to me, it will end. And in Christ we'll have victory. Now how is the battle won? That's verse 6. Verse 6 is the hinge of the whole book of Isaiah. It's what sets up the four Gospels in the New Testament. If we indeed can't win our battle, and we indeed can't escape darkness on our own, what's the answer? It's amazing. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We don't fight our battles. Instead, we receive the victory, and the victory is going to come from a child born here on earth. Not just any child. Isaiah 7 says one very specific child. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you read... He shall be called Emmanuel. Think described as. Because the way to describe this virgin born miracle child is that God himself has come down. He's taken our form. The strong has become weak. 
The eternal has taken on the temporal. The infinite has come to the finite. And in the names of this child, in verse 6, are the other promises about Jesus here in Isaiah 9. Jesus, gospel promise, is the wonderful counselor who guides you. And I want to sit down in this one more than the others. Because out of the four, this is, it doesn't show up as much in other places, but I think it might give some of you the breakthrough you need with God. He's the wonderful counselor, which means all words fall short of describing like how wonderful he is. I can't say awesome or super wonderful, whatever. Our words won't do him justice. He's indescribable, and he's a counselor, not an advice giver, but one that can really help you. I got a few counselor friends, and I've walked enough people through counseling to know that if you're going to go to a counselor, you need to be prepared to do a couple of things. You need to be prepared to do this with the Lord. First, you got to tell the counselor everything. See, counseling is only effective when you actually put everything out there. Any counselor will tell you that until you're ready to be honest, you're wasting your time in theirs. They can't help you unless you tell them everything. But here's the thing. That's scary. That's scary. It's putting all your darkness out there. Who would still love you if they knew all that? Not only that, how can God really understand you or help you? And now we're getting down to where Jesus meets your real life. There's a description of Jesus from the book of Hebrews that I find really helpful in this space. It comes from Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows the human struggle to the fullest. And here's the thing. When you come to him and you confess all that darkness, he doesn't just issue judgment on you. That's your fear. Your fear is you're too messed up to be loved. But the opposite happens. The power of the gospel is that he doesn't judge you. Instead, he takes your judgment onto himself. He died for your sins so that no matter what kind of wreck your life is in right now, you can bring the whole thing to him. And only when you're ready to give it all to him can he help you. Man, I met a guy just recently who said, I don't know about giving my whole life to God. But this right here is why. The wonderful counselor can help you when you are ready to give it all to him. Leads to the, the other part of counseling. If you really want to change, you got to do what the counselor says. You got to show him your whole life and then do what he says. This is the big moment. Are you ready to do what the wonderful counselor calls you to do? Because more than likely, there's a good chance Jesus is going to tell you to do something as you look at the New Testament commands that may not even make sense to you. Maybe it'll seem radical, nonsensical, like the rich young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you have and follow me. The guy said, no, no, that's too much. Because the rich young ruler was trusting himself and not the wonderful counselor. He was waiting on Jesus to make sense according to his perspective. That's not how it works. The, the counselor says darkness has so clouded your judgment that it's best that you don't trust you. You trust me. You say back to that, well, that's a big leap of faith. Yes. Jesus says if you come to him, you'll have abundant life, but it'll be because you choose his ways instead of yours. Some of you want to know how Jesus can help you this Christmas. It's right here in this. Are you willing to do what he says? Because if not, nothing's going to change. But you can trust him because of that next description. He's not just 
a counselor. He is a mighty God who can save you. It's John 1, right? Core of the Christian faith. He is God. It means he's all-powerful. It means he has the power to win the battle. He is the one that can make present darkness past darkness, present battle past battle. He's the one that actually has the power to heal, the power to break addictions. And he, off, this is amazing to me, he offers that power to us. You got to give him everything. But even death itself could not hold Jesus. And the power to defeat death is the power he says now every one of his followers has. He's mighty. He's God. He's the one and only God. Nothing else will save you. Next promise. He's the everlasting father who loves you. Oh, man, have I needed that one this week. He's not just royalty. He's not just the almighty. He has chosen in his kindness to also reveal himself as one who is close, one who is family. He's the one that can give you the security you need. That's the dad's job, to make you feel like no matter what, you got people who love you and care for you. Your earthly father, even if you have a really good one, can only give you a taste of what God the Father can give you, of what Jesus can give you. He's the one. The approval you've been longing for, that's from him. And he gives it to you in Christ. Here's the last gospel promise. Jesus is the prince of peace who reigns over you. The one who reigns forever on David's throne. Anxiety becomes former anxiety. Fear becomes former fear. Anger becomes former anger. The rest your soul finds in the abundance of his provision for you. It'll give you the present and future peace your soul so craves. Do you know this God? Do you know him? This is who we're going to celebrate. This is why we do Advent every year. The one who has the wisdom and power to help you. The one who doesn't just help with your present problems, but the one who goes underneath them to their root and offers you deliverance from your greatest problem. Gives you peace more satisfying and more permanent than any temporary victory in this life will offer you. In him there is hope. Darkness doesn't win. It can't win. And all present darkness will be former darkness. And you can begin to live in that victory now. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for this season where we step back into the the account that we've maybe heard before. We've been around church, we've heard it before. God, I pray that you would write a new song in our hearts as we consider it again. Because there's new darkness we're dealing with we haven't dealt with before. God, your word is amazing to me in that it always, because it is living and active, it always meets us right where we are. So I pray, Father, that as we consider the truths, these promises, You are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And what that really means for us, as we consider that, Father, I pray you begin to change us. I pray for faith. Spirit, would you give us faith to choose your way over our way and find change in new life through that? 
as we celebrate Christmas, Father, would you lead us to a space of generosity towards others because we are changed by your generosity to us. Lead us to a place of peace because we've been changed by the certainty and security of the victory you've won for us over sin and death. Change us for our good and your glory as we celebrate our Savior who's come for us. We praise you in his holy name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.